0: Look, well, come on, give the fathers a hand. Yeah. And let's give the Father in heaven a hand, amen, the greatest Father. None of us would be celebrating anything if it weren't for our Father in heaven, amen. Uh, open your Bibles to the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 1. <clears throat> We're going to touch on the fatherhood of God today. Really what I'm going to talk to you about is the value of our worship. The value of our worship. And uh, I know Jeff Kyle, when I was um, in Colorado, Jeff Kyle's message, he talked about worship. And um, I really began reading Malachi. You know, I, I love the book of Malachi. Um, Amen. It's really a great book. Let me just, before we begin, let me read, the, read uh, the, last, the last verse of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6 says, Speaking of Elijah who is to come, who Jesus tells us who this is in Matthew 11, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. This is the essence of what the gospel does. And there's, there's this is a big, big thing. We can, we can bring it right down to, literally, the hearts of fathers being turned to their children and the hearts of children being turned to their fathers. The implications of that statement are, are, are giant. And it's interesting to me that this book ends and it's the last word before these 400 years of silence before John the Baptist comes on the scene to prepare the way to usher in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in this first advent. In this declaration of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Let's let's go now to Malachi chapter 1 and let's talk about the value of our worship, and we're going we're to basically look at the whole chapter, this whole first chapter, um, and we'll just kind of read it as we go. I'm not going to just read the whole thing to you here at once, but I want you to understand something about this, um, this interesting little book of the Bible. Uh, this was a message from the prophet Malachi to the people of Judah. And it was, after, it was after, you know, all the captivity and, and everything. This was, as I said, 400 years before uh, Jesus Christ appeared upon the scene. And you would think that after, after Israel, and we need to, to kind of know our history a little bit. And I don't want to go into a history lesson today, but when we say Israel... You know, in the Old Testament terms, you have Israel, the whole nation. Then there was a time when Israel was divided between a northern and a southern kingdom. And so you'll see a lot of times where prophets to Israel or the northern kingdom are speaking and then prophets to Judah or the southern kingdom. But but the reality is God has always had and always will have one people, whether we're going to divide them in a northern or a southern kingdom or or whatever, or even now in the new covenant, whether they're Jews or Gentiles doesn't matter. Whether from north or south, Yankees or rebels, or you know, uh. but the reality is, this prophet is speaking to these people that you would think, after all that they had been through as a nation, <laughs> they would have learned something. And this this is something for us to understand. Even in our own time, this is, this is the nature of humanity. This is the nature of human history. You think, man, after all they've been through, you think they would have learned their lesson. Have you ever known a person, you say, man, after all that person's been through, you think they would have learned their lesson. I mean, I've said that about people, but I've said that about myself before. You'd think I would have learned my lesson Solomon in Ecclesiastes talks about the vanity of things and how we never really learn our lesson. This is why history repeats itself. Why? Because human nature doesn't change. Or we could say it like this, the fallen nature does not change. And when we give place to the fallen nature, guess what? We are prone and we will repeat those things that are consistent with that nature. And so here this prophet is writing to the people of Judah, and and specifically to the priests who were officiating over the worship in the temple. And these priests, the scripture says, Malachi says it this way, he says, you are despising God. And they say, how are we despising you? They were despising God by the way they were handling the sacrifices in the temple, by the way they were conducting worship in the temple. So, here's something I want us to understand. The value of our worship will be directly proportional to the value of the God we worship. I'm going to say that again. The value of your worship is directly proportional to the value of the God you worship. How you view God, your perception of the worth or the value of God is going to directly impact your worship. Now, I chose this subject today because it is Father's Day. And the scripture says, Paul gives us this picture, dads, you are the heads of your home. Now, we live in a time, in a day and a time where Statistically, the statistics are pretty consistent. 33% of all children born into homes in America today are born into fatherless homes. It's not a good number. Dad, you bear a great responsibility. But now, here's the thing the Bible says that we are all kings and priests unto God. And though there is an authority structure that God has set up in the home, in, in, in society, the husband's the head of the home, the head of the wife, is Christ is the head of the church, but yet we also see this big picture that says that in Christ there's neither male nor female. And it says that we are kings and priests unto God. So we can't just point at dads and say, Dad, you're the priest of your home, so... You need to get it right. Yeah, you do need to get it right. But the responsibility falls on all of us. Because if you are a member of the body of Christ, the Bible says you are a king and a priest unto God, as a saint of God. And so we are each individually responsible for our worship before the Lord. We are. And it's important that we understand some fundamental things and we understand the value of worship and the importance of these things. Father, we just pray today as we look into the word of God that you would by your spirit, Lord, quicken this word to us, illuminate this word to us. Even as the Lord Jesus said, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. I pray today, God, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see the glory of your word and the glory of who you are as you are declared in this word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the value of our worship will be directly proportional to the value of the God we worship. Do you know that it costs you to worship? How many of y'all saw that movie, True Grit? It's really a good movie. I I would recommend it. It, There's an awesome line in that movie where Matty Ross says, there's nothing free in this world except the grace of God. And you know that's true. Whether you realize it or not, it costs you something to come here today to be a part of this worship experience, to worship together corporately. Cost costs us to worship. It costs you time. Cost costs you sleep. Some of you are going, yeah, I know, I could be sleeping right now. You ain't telling me nothing, Pastor. Cost you money, gas for your car, cost you convenience, might have cost you some recreation time, might have cost you your pride, might have cost you relationships, might have cost your ego. Maybe some idols had to be laid down for you to come here. To, I don't know. But it cost you something. And rightly so. We need to recognize that it cost us to worship God. So, the question is not of cost. The question is of worth. The value you place on God will determine what you are willing to expend in, in worship. The value you place on God will determine what you are willing to expend toward him in worship. A lot of people value their sleep time and they're still sleeping. A lot of people value their lake time, so they're at the lake. A lot of people value a lot of things, so they're somewhere, but they're not worshiping God. You say, well, I can worship God at the lake. Well, I, I know all those arguments. I used to use all those arguments. But let me just say they're bogus. Because there's something powerful and there's something true and something real and something eternally purposed and ordained about the people of God coming together to worship their creator. Amen. So the question of worth is answered based on on our perception of, I want you to get this word, the greatness of God. The greatness of God. Malachi talks about the greatness of God. The question of worth is answered based on our perception of the greatness of God. See, it's not a question of cost, it's a question of worth. And that question is answered by our perception of the greatness of God. Our failure to recognize God's greatness leads to careless or worthless worship. You can't see it. I'm sorry I didn't do a message guide for you. I told Shelby, I said, today's a little dangerous. I always do my format. I, you know, my out, I do an outline, and it's the same that you get it's three little pages, but now I, I've got five big pages. Some of you are scared. My wife is really scared. But I just began writing this out and normally just condense it all down. But this this just, the whole concept of this just really spoke to me and it ministered to me and it challenged me. And I'm challenging you today. The reality is God is challenging us today. Amen. So it's not a question of cost. It's a question of worth. And our failure to recognize God's greatness leads to careless or worthless. I have worth dash less. But it all means the same thing, right? Worship. Worth less worship. Look at Malachi chapter 1. Let's, um, let me just read uh, down to, well, before I start that, we're going we're to gonna kind of begin in the middle here. Let me read verses 7 and 8 to you. Here's what God says to the priests who are conducting the worship in the temple. The end of verse 6. To you, priests, who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Here's God's answer. You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Now understand, the priest did not say that. They didn't with their mouth say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Because no priest of God would utter those words because that would be blasphemy and he would, he would have to be dealt with in a very severe manner. But, but this is what God says they are saying. So how did the priest say, if they didn't say it with their words, how did they say the table of the Lord is contemptible? The same way we say things. Parents, when, you're, when you ask your children to do a simple task, you listening kids? Y'all won't like this. When you ask your children to do a simple task and they hem and they haw and they kick and they just have that attitude and they might even do it. What are they saying? Are you hearing what they're saying? Then they might not say something out of their mouth like I don't want to do that I don't care if you want me to do that. But, but their actions, parents, you understand this. We see this, right? Their actions are communicating something. And you know exactly what they're saying through their actions. Now, before all the kids get mad at me, let's flip that over to the parents. Parents... You can say how much you love your kids and care about your kids, but sometimes your attitude towards your kids or your frustration with life bleeds over into the way you talk to or react to your kids. What are those kids really hearing? They might hear one thing come out of your mouth, but what are they really hearing based on your actions? God is saying, you priest, I see what you're offering to me in these sacrifices and you are declaring that the table of the Lord is contemptible. How? We didn't say that, God. Yeah, you did. Because here's the reality, our actions speak louder than our words. Ask my wife, I tell her all the time I love her. But she really could care less how many times I tell her to love her what she really would like for me to do, now see, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting myself in all kinds of hot water here. What she would really like for me to do is take the trash out without her having to ask me, or maybe see something that's undone and me do it without her having to nag me to do it. And so when she has to nag me and I say, but honey, I love you. She's not hearing the words coming out of my mouth. She's saying, but your actions speak louder than your words. God is saying to the people here. He's saying to us, your actions are speaking louder than your words. As a matter of fact, God is saying to these priests, to this people, I don't really care about your words because your words are meaningless to me because your actions are really betraying. Your heart. So in verse 8, he says, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that no evil? Verse 13 and 14, what a weariness this is, the people say, of their worship of God. And you sneer at me, the Lord says. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick and this you bring as your offering shall i accept that from your hand says the lord cursed be the cheat who has made in his flock who has a male in his flock and vows it and sacrifices to the lord what is blemished god always demanded the the, the best the unblemished the spotless he says i see what you guys are doing You vow the spotless thing, the unblemished thing to me, but when it comes down to it, you bring me the lame or the stolen or the sick. You talk a big talk, but when you come to me, your actions are really saying how you value who I am and the worth that you put on me. So the priests are offering stolen animals and animals that are lame and sick. And the Lord says, this is unacceptable. In fact, he says, it's a curse. Cursed be the cheat who sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. So how does our worship become careless? Or how does it become worthless? Well, let's talk about that. Now, here's where we're going to go back to the beginning of Malachi. Beginning of the book beginning of chapter 1. We fail to see the greatness of God. This is how it happens. God even says to those priests, He said, would you offer this to your governor? You wouldn't offer that to you. What you offer to me, you wouldn't offer to your governor So the the actions of those people said that you fear your earthly governors, your earthly rulers more than you fear the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. The value of our worship, failing to see the greatness of God, failing to see the greatness of God is what causes our worship to be careless or worthless. It causes our worship to become careless, and the origin of careless worship is, is in our inability to see and to feel the greatness of God. Now, there's a lot I could say about that, but I can't say it right now. I'm going to get to the end of the message, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Our ability to see and to feel the greatness of God. Recognizing the greatness of God is recognizing The value of our worship. So remember my perception of God's greatness, of God's worth is directly proportional to the value I place on my worship to God. There are two ways we fail to see the greatness of God that affect the value or the quality of our worship. Recognizing the greatness of God begins with recognizing his sovereign love and his majestic fatherhood. Let's Let's go to the beginning of the the book here. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? You see, this this is very consistent in this book. It's the back and forth. God is relaying this conversation that's going on between him and his people. And God says to his people, I have loved you, says the Lord. But the people say to God, in what way have you loved us? And here is God's response. And you need to catch this, church. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And laid waste to his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, says the Lord of hosts. They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. That is strong. That is the word of the Lord. Your eyes shall see and you shall say the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. In one of the ways that we fail to see the greatness of God, one of the ways that our worship becomes careless and devalued is that we fail to see the greatness of God's sovereign love. We fail to see the greatness of God's sovereign love. In Malachi 1, these verses from 2 to 5, God is declaring his sovereign, unconditional love. I want you to notice that God didn't draw attention to his love in terms of his caring or his provision or his patience or his tender gentleness For his people, though God has that for his people. God is all of those things. But that's not what God drew attention to here when he is dealing with the carelessness or the worthlessness of the worship that his people are offering to him. God draws attention to something else. God declared his love by calling attention to his undeserved sovereign choice to love Jacob. Do you know that Esau came out of the very same womb that Jacob did? Esau had every bit of natural right to God's love as Jacob did, but but the Bible says God loved Jacob. It doesn't really matter why God loved Jacob. I love what J. Vernon McGee says. People always ask the wrong question. People ask, why did God love Jacob and hate Esau? He said the right question is this, why did God love Jacob? Because the reality is, according to the Scripture, Romans 3, read the whole chapter. According to the Scripture, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seek after God. We have all gone astray. The reality is, Jacob and Esau, neither one deserved the love of God. Neither one of them did. And there are none in this place today that deserve his love. And see, here's where we start going wrong. If we think there is something in us that deserves God's love, I, I soon lose the wonder and the greatness of his sovereign love. I have to be reminded, and this is what the scripture does, there is nothing that, that causes me to deserve God's love. We stand in awe of who this God is that has offered so great a love and so great a salvation. Here's a quote from John Piper. God unfolds the nature of his love, not first as something warm and gentle and kind and tender, but as something awesome and strange and fearful in its electing freedom. There is in God's love a great and awesome sovereignty, and that is what God draws attention to first. For, for us to realize, church, do you realize All of you, you came to this table because you said, I have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. I am trusting in the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you came to that table today and you took that bread and you took that cup and you ate of that bread and you drank of that cup and you proclaimed the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that your ability to do that did not hinge on anything within you that God says, you know what, I think Jeff deserves my love. I'm going to give it to him. Uh Because I can promise you I didn't deserve his love, and I do not deserve his love today. But I stand amazed that God has given it to me. I don't know Why? But he has. And that amazement that God has given his love to an undeserving people should cause us to stand in awe of his greatness. Not standing in awe of him because he's kind and gentle and providing. He is all of that. But before we get to any of that, we must stand in awe of the greatness of who he is. That this God who has offered so great a salvation, so great a love, has offered it to those who absolutely do not deserve it. This is why Paul says, I have nothing to boast in except Christ and Christ crucified. Because all that I have, I have because of the cross of Christ. And that's it. Church, that's all of us today. So the truth is, God was not required to extend his love to us, nor has anyone deserved his love, but he has revealed the greatness of his sovereign, unconditional love. That is the greatness that we are to worship. We must come to recognize the greatness of his sovereign love. The second thing is this, the first was we fail to see, we fail to see the greatness of his sovereign love. And The second thing is this, we fail to see the greatness of God's majestic fatherhood. So God goes on, he completes his thought, he says, I have loved you and this is how I loved you. <laughs> I chose to save you that's what he's saying not because you deserved it but because I just did your eyes shall see and you shall say the Lord is magnified beyond the borders of Israel in verse 6 he says a son honors his father and a servant his master if then I am the father where is my honor And we're talking about the value of worship. When we come together as the body of Christ, how do we come? What is, what's in our mind? What's in our heart? What's our attitude? When you lay in bed on Sunday morning and you hit the alarm and the snooze and you're sitting there going, man, do I really want to get up and go today? What what is it? Now, listen, there are legitimate reasons I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about we have legitimate reasons why we can't come. You know, this is not about legalism, okay? This is about worship. But it is a legitimate question to ask ourselves. I'm asking you because God asked me and I asked myself. It's a legitimate question to ask ourselves. Whether we get up and come or whether we don't come, Why why are we doing what we're doing? What is in our heart? What is the value that we place on our worship? And so he says, if I am, if then I am the father, where is my honor? And I want you to see that as with his love, God doesn't focus here on his gentle, tender Nature as a father, though he is gentle and he is tender. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but hear what the Lord is saying. God focuses the attention of his people. He focuses their attention on the majesty, the greatness of his fatherhood. And he says, if I then am the father, where is my honor? You notice what he didn't ask? He didn't say, where's my affection? He didn't say, where is your affection, people, for me? He says, where is my honor? Where is my honor? See, the the degree in which we honor God, here again, is going to be directly proportional to the perception of of the greatness of God, how we perceive the greatness of God. How we perceive God is going to directly affect how we honor God. It will. I was reading a, an article. Um, I, I actually, it was a news article where Jack Van Impey, I don't ever see him, um, but I know he's a prophecy teacher where Jack Van Impey, uh disassociated himself. He broke from TBN. He broke from TBN because TBN didn't want him to air a program in which he called out some ministers by name who had kind of fudged on the whole Islam question, and and some of these guys had signed a thing that basically said, um, Allah and Jehovah are the same God, that Christians and and Muslims worship the same God. I'm going to tell you right now, that might sound real nice and romantic and kind, but the God of this Bible is not the God of the Quran. It's not. Allah is not Jehovah. I pray that every Muslim that, that can, that will, will be saved. I probably disagree with a lot of what Jack Van Impe teaches, but I sure agree and support him on that one. We can disagree on the... See, we, we don't have to agree on the side subjects, when a rapture is going to happen or all of these things. We may disagree on those things, but, but when we say the God... That the Muslims worship and the God that we worship is the same God, that's, that's where we got to part company right there. And I applaud those ministers who will stand up publicly and take a stand for righteousness. What is the value we place on our worship? Who, who do we see God to be? Who, who in our minds is God? And how great really is he? God says, if I then am the father, where is my honor? Not where is my affection, but where is my honor? God reveals to us the origin of careless worship or worship that has less worth than it should. It comes from our failure to see, to feel, to know the greatness of who God is. The greatness revealed in his sovereign love and the greatness revealed in his majestic fatherhood. So, how does this connection, what is the connection between recognizing God's greatness and our worship? Let's go on to Malachi 7. Now I just read this to you a while ago, but let's let's read this together. So he says, If then I, in verse 6, if then I am the Father, where is my honor? If I am a master, Where is my reverence, verse 6, says the Lord of hosts. To you, priests who despise my name, you say, in what way have we despised your name, God? Verse 7, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible through your actions, is what he's saying. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor, Would he be pleased with you? Would you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. Do we fear man more than we honor God? Are we so concerned about what the Muslims might think that we can't tell the truth? Well, that's an easy one, right? We'd all get that one right. But let's bring it down to our personal lives. Do we sometimes fail to tell the truth about things? keep silent when we should maybe speak up because we're concerned about what someone may think. Now, we don't need to be going around picking fights, but here's what the Bible says. If you see your brother or your sister and they have fallen into whatever sin or whatever, you don't go to them in judgment and condemnation, but do we really love our brothers and our sisters? I mean, if you were, if you were drowning and I walked by and I saw you drowning, I said, hey, what's going on? I'm drowning. Oh, yeah, I see that. Well, have a great day. You know, I don't want to get in your business or anything because I I don't want to know why you're drowning, but I hope you get it all worked out. Well, we wouldn't do that, would we? Do we value our brothers and our sisters? Do we really love? Now, there's a, there's a huge difference. See, a lot of people just like to gossip. I know some of them personally. They love to gossip. That's, that's a sin. Do you know gossip's just as much of a sin as homosexuality or adultery or any of those things? It's not about that. What it's about is, do we really care? Do we value This is all part of our our worship. It's part of recognizing the greatness of God. That we honor God, that we fear God more than we fear man. That it would even cause us to speak the truth in love and not run. Verse 9, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably? If you're offering the lame and the blind and the stolen, do you think God's really going to receive that favorably? That's what he's asking here. Who is there even among you? Verse 10, this is real important here. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? So get the picture here. God says, look... The, the one priest says, uh, but you know, God, I've never brought a, a lame lamb to you. I've never brought a stolen lamb to you or a blind lamb to you. I've never, I've never brought one of those to the temple. But God says, yeah, you might not have ever brought one, but did you bother to bar the door, to close the door so that those other guys couldn't bring one? So well, I don't go around gossiping, but are you a willing participant? Well, I don't go around sinning, but are you a willing participant? A silent stander-by as your brother drowns? Well, I didn't kill him. He drowned. Yeah, but could you have pulled him out and saved him? God says, is there one? Who had even shut the door so that fire would not be offered, kindled on the altar in vain. Now, this, this is an interesting little phrase here. You see that phrase in verse 10, in vain? Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 24. At the very end of 2 Samuel, the very end of the book here, this is King David. He wants to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And 2 Samuel 24, 24 says, then the king said, what's happened is he, he wants to offer a sacrifice. So this guy, this farmer's got a threshing floor. And the threshing floor was like a big flat. It would be like this slab here except natural rock. And what they'd do, they'd bring their grain there. They'd bring their wheat or their barley or whatever. They'd put it on the threshing floor. And they would beat the grain out of the heads of wheat. And then they would take these winnowing forks and they would throw it up in the air and the, the seed would fall to the ground and all the chaff would blow away. So if you're a farmer... A threshing floor is real important because you you know that's how you get the grain out of your your the seed out of your grain so you can sell it or eat it or do whatever you're gonna do with it, right? And so David needs a place to get to sacrifice to the Lord, and so this farmer says, I will give you my threshing floor to sacrifice to the Lord. Matter of fact, I'll give you the oxen and the plow and everything. Here, take it. And David says, Let me pay you for it. Guy says, No. I'm going to give it to you because it's for the Lord. And they're they're fighting here. They're haggling over. David wants to pay. The guy doesn't want to accept any money. But here's what David says. David says, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. That phrase "with that which cost me nothing," is the same Hebrew word translated back in Malachi as "in vain." Are there anyone who will come and bar the door so that fire is not kindled on my off altar in vain, or so that a fire is not kindled on my altar that cost nothing that has no value? To offer up a worthless sacrifice, David says, I'm not going to offer up a worthless sacrifice. I won't offer up anything to the Lord that does not cost me. God says to the people of Judah, you might not have brought that thing, but did you bar the door so that fire could not be kindled on my altar to offer worthless sacrifices? And the answer is no, there was no one. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. So we see the connection here. What is the connection? If we don't, if we don't see the greatness of God. Church, do you see the greatness of God? Who is God? Is he just someone that, that makes sure your bills are paid? Is he just someone who gave you a ticket to heaven? Is he just someone we go to some building every week and we sing songs? Who is this God we worship? Who is he? What is the value you place upon this God? He has a value. He's priceless. We can't place of value but we can have a perception of his greatness and our perception of his greatness will directly impact the value of our worship the value of our worship it's the greatness it is greatness that is crucial when worship is at stake Our view of God's greatness will determine the value, the worth of our worship. And the origin of careless or worthless worship is a failure to see and to feel or to know the greatness and the worth of God. Listen, we will never sustain true worship based on that which makes us simply feel good or happy or pleasure. See, that's what we want from God. And I'm telling you what, God has made provision for our happiness and our pleasure and our joy, but not at the expense of his worth and his value. God is not a three-ring circus master. He's not a carnival uh, purveyor who is there to make sure that you have fun on all the rides. I mean, we're talking about God. This is the God we're called to worship. And we'll never sustain true worship based on those things. True worship with true value must be born out of our recognition of God's true greatness. Failing to recognize God's greatness, it affects, it affects our worship. How is it that this failure to to see the greatness of God. How is it that this failure affects our worship? Well, God lays it out right here. I mean, look, why do you think, now think about this, if you are a guy who raises goats or sheep, and you have your prized goat or lamb right there, I mean, this is the cream of the crop. This baby's gonna produce some good offspring for me here. But I gotta give it to God. Oh, oh man. I gotta give that one to God? Yep, yeah, that's the one you gotta give to God. But that's that's my best one. Man, if, if I can get him to produce, do you realize how much money I'm gonna make? Yeah, I know, but that's the one you gotta give to God. But they're just gonna take it and they're gonna slit its throat, drain its blood, put it on that altar and burn it. What a waste. Do you know what I could I could do so much more if I kept that goat for myself? I could produce, you know how many hundreds of little lambs I could produce, and then I could take all the money from all those little lambs I produced, and I could build God a, a we wouldn't have to use that old threshing floor anymore. We could build him a real building. We could do great things for the kingdom of God if I could just. Do you see? See how we begin to justify? But God says, no, uh, 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 uh. that one is mine. Well, why did they bring lame ones and blind ones? Because they had no value. But it's okay to offer that to God, because God's just going to burn them on an altar. But I could do something with that. Why do I need to go waste an hour and a half, two hours at church every Sunday morning? I could be doing something with that time. Why should I give my money to God? I could be doing something with that money. I don't know. You you answer those questions. I'm just the messenger, okay? I didn't write the message. I'm just giving you the message that God has written and recorded for us. And you know what? I always tell people this. If the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't, leave it under the bed, okay? If the shoe fits, put it on. If not, just leave it right there under that chair that's sitting in front of you. Just leave it right there. But if God is challenging you about the value of your worship, I want to encourage you to give place to him, give place to his spirit. Because this is a question that all of us need to ask ourselves. And I'm going to tell you, worship is not just about what happens here on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Your worship of God is 24-7. It's eternal. If you're a child of God, you worship Him every day, every moment of every day, whether you realize it or not. Your life is demonstrating the value of your worship A lot of of believers think they can come to church and be one way in church and they go out and nobody knows what they're doing, what they're saying, what they're partaking of and you're just fooling yourselves. And you are demonstrating the value that you place on your worship of God when you do that. And God doesn't wink at those things. He knows. Let me give you another quote again. Our failure to see and feel the greatness of God makes a person bored with God and excited about the world. If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. You can't see the sun. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with the streetlight. <laughs> if you've never considered really thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with Fireworks. When we can no longer see the Lord God Almighty, the maker of galaxies, the creator of heaven and earth, when we become blind to him, the one who is the ruler of nations, the lover of our soul, there is only one thing left, and that is the love of the world. Are we enduring God, just enduring him? Look at, look at this in Malachi. Let's go on. So he says in verse 10, so, so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain, that is worthless, that has no value. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. Why? Because that's what we're offering. You also say, oh, what a weariness. Oh, what a weariness. Do I have to worship God again? Do I have to endure it again? God says, this is what you say. Oh, what a weariness. And you sneer. You sneer at it. What is the value we place on our worship of God? Now, I'm not going to finish today. We'll finish next week. But I know the thought process. Some of you might be saying, but you know, Pastor Jeff, if you just make it more entertaining, it wouldn't be so wearisome to endure. But see, that's not the point. You missed the entire point. You coming here and enduring my sermon is not what I'm talking about. See, if that's your attitude, then there's a deeper problem And the deeper problem is you have not grasped hold of, you have not come to see the greatness of God. You only see the failings of human being. If you're looking for someone or some place or something to make it more fun and entertaining, hey, I'm all about fun and entertainment. Those of you that know me know, there's no one that loves fun and entertainment more than I do. And I believe God is fun And he's very entertaining. But he will become all of that and more to you as you begin to truly and properly see his greatness. And until then, we have all the fireworks and smoke and mirrors and everything in this church and other churches. And you know what you'll do? You'll just move from place to place to place because you'll grow tired and weary of what man can produce. You know why? Because you've never come to see and to know the greatness of God. I know all about it. I was a youth pastor for many years. Kids want to be entertained, and so we fall into this trap of we need to entertain our kids. What are we doing? We're perpetuating something that they're going to have to deal with sometime in their life. Let's not entertain them. Let's challenge them. Let's entertain them too, but not at the expense of challenging them to see the greatness of God. Now, let me bring it back to you dads and let me bring it back to your mom, you moms because the greatest way that we can lead is to lead by example. And I'm going to tell you what, few kids are going to see the greatness of God if their parents do not see the greatness of God. Fathers, lead your families in true worship that has real value, that demonstrates real worth. The value of our worship, the attitude we take toward that is exactly what your kids are going to pick up. I I had parents come to me on a regular basis just beside themselves because they don't know what they're going to do about their kids. That's kind of like, you know, the proverbial, we're worried about the cow after he's done, got out of the gate. It's too late now. All we can do is turn them over to the Lord. But we don't have to wait until it's too late. What are we teaching this generation and the next generation about the value of our worship? And we do need to be focused on the generations. You and I don't know when the Lord's coming back. Might be today, might be tomorrow. Might be 10 years from now. Might be 100 years, I don't know. But he never said, sit here and and live your life and don't do anything because you think I'm coming back soon. He said, live your life, be a good steward of your life, be a good steward of your time Preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say stop. He said go and he did not say stop. He said start preaching the gospel. He never has told us to stop preaching it yet. So we need to keep preaching it. And the greatest preaching of the gospel is not going to be me standing at a pulpit or you standing at a pulpit. It's going to be you living your life and me living my life. It's going to be us showing the value of worship through our lives, how we value worship based on how we worship. Our children, and some that aren't even our children, but God has placed us as nursing fathers and nursing mothers to many around us who don't have biological fathers and mothers to do this for them. But you might be that one God has placed in someone's life. What are you demonstrating through your life that causes them to see and perceive the value and the greatness of God? What is it you're communicating through your life that's sending a very clear message, whether you realize it or not, to your children or to those children around you? What is the value of your worship? I'm going to stop there because I have too much to go. We're going to pick this up next week. And we're going to talk about the essence of careless or worthless worship. Amen. Y'all love me. That's a hard message. I ain't gonna lie to you. That's a hard message. But we need to challenge. Listen, God's challenging his people. I believe it. And we need to we need to be challenged. The greatest joy, the greatest fulfillment, the greatest happiness of your Christianity is never was never meant to be experienced in here. It was meant to be lived out there. This place is an equipping place. You're called to be equipped here. And that means sometimes you're going to be challenged. And if you're not challenged, then you're not being equipped. I mean, for any man that was in the military and went through basic training, it might have been hell on earth, but were you thankful for that training if you ever had to endure combat? Yeah, you were. Let's all stand. So here's your homework, church. I want you to spend some time this week in prayer, just in communion with the Lord. I want you to ask an honest question. I want you to to look for an honest answer. I want you to ask the question, God, what is the value of my worship? Lord, how am I failing to see your greatness? And that failure to see your greatness has caused, it's it's affected my worship. It's affected my attitude in worship. It's affected a lot of things in our relationship. I challenge you to take some time and let God just begin to speak to your heart. Because God wants to to help you. He wants to help us come into a place of joy and fulfillment in him. But we're never going to get there, church, if we don't begin to truly see the greatness of God. Amen. Father, I just ask you today, even as we've been challenged by this hard word from your prophet Malachi, Lord, written to a people many, many centuries ago, thousands of years ago, but yet God recorded for us today. Because Lord, as then it is now, you are looking for a people to worship you, and that people must worship you in spirit and in truth. And that's not a method or a formula, Lord, that's a reality of of being in Christ. We can't even begin to understand worship until we come to be in Christ. And I want to know, is there anyone here today you would say, Pastor Jeff, honestly, I don't know if I have ever truly come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But today, before I leave, I want you to pray with me and I want to to know that I know Christ is my Savior. Is there anyone here today? Just raise your hand if that's you. Anyone, anyone, anyone at all. Anyone at all. Well, Father, I thank you that all here, Lord, uh, either confess their salvation or, Lord, they're, they're not ready yet. But Father, I pray for, Lord, for your people today. I pray for myself included, that, God, you would challenge us to begin to examine, Lord, the value that we place on our worship. Lord, the message that we are preaching as we live our lives, not in our words, but in our deeds. Lord, what value are we communicating to our family and our friends in the world around us concerning our worship toward you? Lord, what is our perception of your greatness that's being revealed in the way we live our lives and conduct ourselves day in and day out? Lord, I pray you would challenge us. And Lord... That we would be a people that would show forth your glory and be a witness in this dark world. That we would see, Lord, the gospel commission fulfilled. That we would see men who do not know Christ come to faith in Christ by the witness of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you're here and you want prayer for healing, for anything that's going on in your body, Please come and uh, let's pray. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Hope you guys have a blessed day. Uh, Mama, treat them right today. It's their day. I'm sure they, now don't treat them the way they treated you because I'm sure you're going to treat them better than they probably treated you on Mother's Day. So, God bless you.